0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to A Perpetual Feast here on the Circe Institute Podcast Network. I'm David Kern, a producer here at the Circe Podcast Network, and before we kick it over to the show with Wes Callahan and Andrew Kern, I just need to say a quick word from our sponsor. Roman Roads Media is a publisher of Classical Christian Curriculum, designed for homeschoolers and homeschool co-ops, and they're back this year with a giveaway for Cersei Podcast listeners. Each episode of Perpetual Feast, they're going to be giving away one of the 16 units from Wes Callahan's Old Western Culture series, a high school video course that guides you through the great books of Western Civ. Complete with workbooks, discussion, questions, and readers, Wes Callahan draws from decades of teaching experience as he tells the story of Western civilization, integrating history, literature, theology, politics, philosophy, and so much more. Here's how to enter this giveaway. When this episode is posted on our Facebook page, on the Cersei Facebook page, leave a comment saying which unit of the Old Western Culture you would choose if you win. One of the comments will be drawn at random three days after the episode is posted. To browse the available titles in the Old Western Culture series, please visit www.romanroadsmedia.com. So thanks to our good friends over at Roman Roads Media for sponsoring this season of A Perpetual Feast, uh, especially with Wes Callahan being one of the co-stars of this show. We are really honored to continue partnering with Roman Roads and with Wes Callahan to make great content for you. We hope you really enjoy this season. Uh, So without further ado, I'll kick it over to Andrew Kern and Wes Callahan and their ongoing conversation of the works of Homer. Enjoy.
1: Then the assembly broke up. The troops now scattered, each man off to his own ship, their minds on the evening meal and the joy of a full night's sleep. But Achilles wept and wept, thinking of his dear comrade, so that sleep the all-subduing got no hold on him. He kept tossing this way and that missing, Patroclus, his manhood, his splendid strength, all he'd been through with him, all the hardships he'd suffered facing men in battle in the waves of the cruel sea. Recalling these things, he shed large tears, lying now stretched out on his side, but restless, sometimes again on his back, or prone. Then again he'd rise to his feet and wander, distraught by the seashore. The rising dawn never brought light to sea and to beaches, but he was there. Then he would yoke his swift horses to the chariot and tie on Hector behind it to be dragged, and when he trailed him three times about Menoetius' dead son's mound, he'd go back and rest in his hut, leaving Hector's body stretched out prone in the dust. But Apollo, pitying Hector, preserved his flesh, though mortal, from all unseemly decay, even in death, wrapped the golden aegis round his whole body to save the dragged corpse from disfigurement by Achilles. So Achilles, in his fury, aimed to mutilate noble Hector, but the sight of him stirred. Hey Andrew. What? Wes, what hey Wes, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, thanks. What are you reading? Oh, you know what I'm reading. The famous book twenty-four of the Iliad. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Hey, you know what I was what I was about to get to was, was um I was reading about you know the famous Hector drag being dragged behind the chariot scene. Yeah. But I was about to get to where where the gods get get Upset, and and they actually they actually call a council. Apollo, I think it is, sends um, Hermes to steal the corpse um, to plan that, and and then they all get together and they say we better we better meet with Zeus, and then um, Hera actually gets angry. But over at line sixty four, this is part I I, I should yeah. read. Then Zeus, the cloud gatherer, responded to Hera saying. Hera, no need to rage so vehemently at the gods. I wonder if he could have said somewhere in there, Achilles. The honor of these two will not be the same. Yet Hector was more dear to the gods than all the other mortals in Ilion. To me at least, for he never failed me with gifts I enjoyed. Not once did my altar lack its fair share of the feasting, the libations, the burned fat, our accepted privileges. We'll forget about stealing, bold Hector. No way to do it with Achilles not finding out. His mother is constantly around him both day and night. In fact, I wish that one of you gods would tell Thetis I want her here to give a wise message to her, to make Achilles accept ransom from Priam and give Hector's body back. And bingo, there's the rest. That's book 24 right there. That's a, that's Zeus's way of taking taking charge. Now he's... A little less aggressive than he was in in, uh, (laughs) 9 and 16. He's not, there's no golden chains here, but he's taking control. And he just laid out what's going to happen in book 24.
2: Yeah, no dragon gods around by golden chains. (laughs) Uh, And uh, in every one of these, uh, at least um, uh, here, he's in council. Huh. expressing his will and doing his will in council. It's, it's a public thing just like it was uh, in uh, at the the nine of, and 16 uh, th- or eight and 15. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. It yeah. was he, uh, he's, uh, uh, he's in council there as well. Uh, uh, expressing his will, not standing off by himself, just saying, uh, uh, here's what I'm going to do. But he says it to the other gods uh, and expects them to listen to him, expects them to uh, accede to his will, expects their consent.
1: And to help him accomplish it.
2: And to help him accomplish it. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what we're going to do. Um, and we'll brook no debate.
1: So what we've been arguing in these, in the last episode is that there's the three sections of the Iliad and that in 16 to 24, we're in the third section. You remember in, in, in section one, we had argued that one through eight is section one. Book one begins with Achilles becoming angry. Book eight begins with Zeus aroused to action. Book nine begins with, well, book nine is about Achilles reasserting his anger, but modified a little bit. But he, but he's now um, withdrawn again, I guess. And then book 15 is about Zeus. It begins with Zeus asserting his will. Now in book twenty four we've said Zeus is reasserting his will and achieves it in, book, in this book, but we didn't talk about sixteen. Mm, okay. What what is what happens in sixteen that that is Achilles' anger?
2: Um, it's I guess we could say it's an aspect or an outworking of of, of his of his anger. Um, last uh, in our in our last episode, uh, you read the opening passage, uh, and we talked about how Patroclus had come to Achilles. Uh, with an idea that Nestor had given to him in book 11 uh, to borrow Achilles' armor. If Achilles won't come back and fight, at least you can borrow his armor, Patroclus, said Nestor. And you can pretend to be Achilles and lead the Myrmidons out in battle, and so drive the Trojans away. Uh, and so um, uh, Patroclus gives this idea at the beginning of book 16 to Achilles, and Achilles agrees with some cautions. Uh, and so um, uh, th- th- so that's that's it. His agreement, his reluctant kind of hesitant uh, agreement uh, with the idea that Patroclus has, um, which uh, Homer uh, 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 tells us will be the beginning of evils, the beginning of destruction. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it's Achilles' decision here um, to accede to Patroclus' request. He needs to decide not to go out and fight. Um, yeah. Even though, by the way, even though at the end of Book 15, the Trojans are at the Greek ships, and Hector is, is calling for for a torch to set fire to the Greek ships. It's difficult to see how things could be worse for the for the for the Greeks at this moment. And Achilles still won't go out and fight, uh, but he agrees to Patroclus's request, and that decision uh, then opens up what's going to happen in Book 16, and then uh, the, huh. the rest of this third story.
1: And what happens in Book 16? What's the big Patroclus?
2: Event? Patroclus is killed. Yeah. This, tragic moment. So by? Uh, who kills him? Yeah. And he's killed by Hector. Uh, and so then, yeah. So Patroclus is killed by Hector. And so then the rest of the the remaining third uh, is, is, a, is Achilles's wrath working it out, working out against Hector because Hector's killed his, his, uh, uh, you know, um, killed his dear Patroclus.
1: Yeah. So then book 16 begins almost with Achilles becoming piteous Allowing Patroclus to go into the battle on behalf of the Greek army, on, on behalf of Achilles, in, in Achilles' armor, as Achilles, basically. Yeah. And he goes into yeah. battle and and gets killed. Yeah. And and that 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 is Achilles' re-engagement. So again, just as in book nine, we saw him sort of re-engaging or, you know, at least agreeing not to leave. Now in 16, he's featured and this the it's the beginning of evils. And boy, that's a loaded phrase. Yeah. Well, fantastic. So, so there's the three sections, one to eight, nine to 15, 16 to 24. I hope the people listening to the podcast, I hope that you, um, I hope that you can find sort of bearings from that. What we want to do now is given that structure, We want to take this section, this session, this podcast to talk about section one. And then next time we'll talk about section, session, section two. And then we'll talk about section three, two podcasts from now. What do you think of that, Wes?
2: I think that's an excellent idea. That's a good way to look at the structure.
1: So what I'm thinking is what I'd be wondering if I'm listening to us talk, I think, (laughs) is, okay, great. Section one begins with book one. And that's... Achilles gets angry and it ends with book eight. Zeus is aroused to action. What happens in between? So tell me, Wes, what happens in between books one and eight?
2: Well, Achilles does what he promises to do. He withdraws from the fighting, but uh, he wants Zeus to, he he makes a a request through his mother, Thetis, uh, to Zeus, the king of the gods, uh, to restore his honor. Uh, and Achilles uh, thinks that that will happen by causing the 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 Greeks uh, to suffer make the Trojans the enemy win for a while until the Greeks uh, realize that they've erred by, by by offending him and that they, and they ask for him back so um, so then uh, we, we see Zeus we see Zeus uh, engaging immediately in, in, in book two he rouses through a dream he rouses up. Um, and we don't want to go into too much detail here because we might be able to later, but he rouses Agamemnon, and now Ag- Agamemnon starts the battle. So after some false starts, uh, which we could talk about if you think you have time, but, but basically after some false starts, the battle uh, is really fully engaged in Book 5. Zeus stirs up battle between the Greeks and the Trojans so that he can make the Trojans win for a while in, uh, in response to Achilles' request um and then um uh, the battle uh comes uh, after some other um uh, wonderful episodes the battle comes to an end rather night falls at the end of book 7 um uh, and uh, and that's the end of the first day of battle but it's rather but it's rather um, uh, inconclusive and so and so in book 8 where 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 it ends where this first section ends uh, Zeus um, after having not done much, apparently in books two through seven, Zeus holds up his golden scales at the middle of the day, um, which represents the fate of the, of the Trojans, the Greeks, uh, and the Greeks death day is heavier and sinks to the earth. And that's the indication that the Zeus is now going to bring about, um, is now going to be more, be more active and make the, and make the Greeks start suffering at the hands of the Trojans as he promised Achilles, but it uh-huh. takes till the end of this first section for that to really happen. Uh, which um, I think um, and I'm curious whether you agree with this Andrew but I think um, Homer um, um, is, uh, uh, just out of artistic motives is delaying the the, the um, the main plot for the sake of bringing other things in i mean it is an epic poem he's in no hurry his audience is in no hurry they've got no place to go the evening stretches before them they want to hear more poetry so homer drags out <laughs> zeus and caging and you know enacting as well because there's other cool things he can weave into the story so i skipped over a number of things but basically in books one through eight zeus gets the battle going um uh, but it just kind of goes and he doesn't really exert any effort on behalf of the trojans against the greeks until book eight. Isn't there a duel in a couple books? Yeah, there are two. This is you mentioned uh, in, in uh, an episode or so ago the 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 principle of the chiasm. Yeah, and there's kind of a chiastic structure here too, because in in uh, in in book three, as soon as Agamemnon, in response to the dream Zeus sends him, uh, as soon as Agamemnon tries to get the army to go to battle. Um, immediately there's an idea pops up that that kind of stalls the the battle. Uh, And the idea is that there'll be a a duel, a duel of champions between a leading representative on on each side. Um, And so in in book three, we have a duel. uh, And then uh, at the end of this day in book seven, uh, there's another duel just before nightfall. So the day begins and ends with a duel with battle in between. And there's a chiastic structure.
1: Let's see if we can push that chiasm even further. If, if there's a okay. duel in seven and there's a duel in, is it
2: two or three? Three, yeah. What happens in book two? Uh, well, um, in book two, uh, at the beginning, uh, this is the, the, the night between books one and two. Uh, Zeus has sent a dream to Agamemnon um, saying, um, uh, saying uh, rouse up, I'm going to give you victory, uh, which is not true. Zeus wants Agamemnon to rouse up so the Trojans can have victory for a while. Uh, Agamemnon wakes up uh, and tells the men Zeus has told me we're not going to have victory let's go home in a botched attempt test their valor uh, and this odysseus has to save has to save the day um, uh, and so finally the men are rallied after these botched attempts in the morning the men are rallied on the battlefield uh, and then the entire second half of book two uh, is what's called the catalog of ships where Homer as the men are marshaling on the on the assembly ground Homer goes through and he tells us, uh, the leaders of each of the many contingents from Greece and how many ships they came over in and how many men were in each ship uh, and what the country was like that they came from and how long they grow their hair and what's painted on the side of the prows of the ships. <laughs> so this is a wonderful uh, uh, listing um, and, and and astonishing for a number of really striking reasons, a uh, wonderful listing of the, of the Greek contingent. And then there's actually a shorter uh, uh, thing done for the Trojan side as well at the end of the book. So the catalog uh, occupies... You know the entire this second uh, second half of Book Two, and it's a pretty striking uh, uh, feature of the poem. Huh, huh. And I, I, I was uh, you, you, uh, you, were, you said a minute ago. Uh, I wonder if you could, if we could push this chiasm further. And I'm, I'm wondering if you had the catalog of ships in mind. Uh, well, if something you- about Book Two expands the chiastic structure that we saw in three and seven with the duels. Well, and I think maybe it does.
1: What do you think? What are you thinking? What are you seeing?
2: Well, I'm just making this up as I go along because I hadn't thought of pushing the, the chiastic structures you did. Um, But for the duel, there's, uh, uh, well, there's some, some, there are some obvious things like, you know, uh, morning dawns, and then there's uh, the catalog of ships and then there's the, and then there's the duel. And uh, in, in book seven, there's the duel and the night falls. So, you know, the 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 day is the, the the progress of the day gives us some chiastic structure, and then so does the duel. But I wonder about um, what's analogous at the end of this first section to the catalog of ships at the beginning in Book Two. I uh, say, uh, do you have something? Oh, I have some. I have some ideas, but I want to hear what you're thinking.
1: Well, I think there's just simply the the fact that. Well, first of all, what's tricky about this is that if my theory about the chiasm is right, then the duels aren't what's chiastic. Because if I'm I'm onto it, then one and eight are chiastic, are parallel, two and seven, three and six and four and five. But two isn't where the first duel is, three is. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not questioning that the duels are chiastic too. In other words, you know, if everybody's still confused on what chiasm, when you go one eight two seven three six four five, that's a chiastic sequence. Yeah. And so what I'm what I'm what I'm wrestling proposing with, and and I have to just say there's a book called Homer's Cosmic Fabrication, and it's written by a guy named Bruce Hayden, and it's phenomenal on this and. It's extremely technical, but it's where it's when I was despairing of all this chiastic stuff, he rescued my despair. And he actually says that in, in book two and seven, he uses the phrase an aerial survey in both of these books. He says, you have, you have an aerial survey. So um, you have a, you have the, the challenge in book two you have, you know, the dream sent the failed challenge or test, if you like. Odysseus goes goes into um, overview, you in, in overdrive to save the day. But then in book seven, you get the corollary to that where, where um, night falls, whereas in book two, it started in the night. And in book seven, the gods are trying to figure out how to end the, the battle instead of how they're going to begin it. And in book two, they decide the gods do to, I think, to have a duel. In book seven, they use a duel to end it. But the duel doesn't happen until three. Mm. And then, so the question then is, okay, if, if books two and seven are chiastic, if only because the gods began it and ended it in two and seven, how are three and six chiastic? And I'm finding that one, shall we say, a little bit more challenging. So... Um, I'm cheating
2: and looking well, at what, what Haydn has to say about that. But, but there, I, I think there, there's something, something else that's at least worth, worth consideration. And that is um, if we, if, if we try to, to find our structures um, um, forced by the numbering of the books, um, it might be partly sort of a trick of the light because um Homer didn't divide the poem into books. He didn't number them. That was later Alexandrian scholars. So if we if we say, well, this is a problem because that duel happens in book in three rather than book two, well, the division between two and three is is a later artificial structure. It's a brilliant one. And I think the Alexandrian scholars who divided the book, uh, the, the poem, uh, into 24 books according to letters of the alphabet for the sake of 24 papyrus scrolls and so on did an absolutely outstanding job. Um, but Homer didn't have that in mind. Uh, for him, it's just a poem. And so we could if we ignore the distinction, the, the division between book two and three, um, we might have, in fact, between all the books, uh, we can see the pattern without saying they have to be between books. I'd, I, I'd, I'd have a little trouble thinking that Homer. Perfect. Yeah.
1: That means we have another thing we can be contentious about. Because <laughs> I think – because I, I believe that the Alexandrian scholars were thinking in terms of form and structure and symphonics and they were deliberately choosing the books and making the books the length they were, if there's two possibilities from my perspective, they were either dividing the books based on the content of each book and noticing that Homer had a rhythm to each book, which we can get to later, except I'll just say that in each book, there is one major decision and its aftermath. Um, They might've just been doing that. But I think that they also were seeing that, that, homers relating books together because homer was a weaver and so and and they were onto that i think i may be i may be reading it back i don't know but who cares it's me i get to make it up as i go along but um but i think that they're seeing echoes between things now therefore well, uh, when well, we look at the no.
2: go <laughs> ahead you're you you're right. I, I'm not I'm not I'm not seeing why you think we disagree. Oh um, right. come on, Wes. <laughs> well, in the first place, uh, I, I think it's, it's quite obvious that the Alexandrian scholars made the divisions between books uh, where they did because of the structure and the form of the book. They were brilliant readers of this poem, so they're 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 doing a brilliant job because they're brilliant students of the. Uh, of the poem, so the, the so the the place where they chose to divide the book, they're natural they're natural places, but that doesn't mean that um, that we can't see um, uh, as any good reader uh, would uh, the, the the continuity and the flow between the books, such that uh, we could include um, uh, say the opening uh, dream and the failed test and the catalog of ships uh, and the duel in book three. We see them as uh, we can see them as part of a. Uh, part of a unit there is a natural there, there is a natural uh, a breaking place but we don't want to push that break that natural breaking place too far um, when we think about the division between book two and three because really the breaking place is just the end of the catalog of ships and back to the story so we can say ah, oh, that's a natural place to break the poem and that's what the alexandrians did but that doesn't mean that there's a that there's a breach in the story such that the the duel is is not part of a unit that includes the dream sequence at the beginning of two um, in other words, I think we can still see the we can still see the chiasm. Yes, yeah. I don't think it's I don't think it's illegitimate to do what you're doing. You, you want, you're, you're saying, but I want to find a chiasm between two and seven, not three and seven. And I think that's legitimate to do. Um, it also raises another question we're going to have to ask because some of our readers might be our listeners might be asking this now, and that is, do you really think? Do you guys really think Homer had all this in mind? Um, yep. You know, a poem as massive as that, do you really think he had all this in mind? And and you and I would both say yes, but we should probably at some point explain why. I, I'll tell you why, because it's mnemonic.
1: No, that's not why. It's two reasons, <laughs> because it's beautiful and because it's mnemonic. Okay, so so the human soul loves rhythms, whether the mind perceives them or not. And so we we respond to it. We hear these echoes. We can't necessarily consciously trace them, but we hear the echoes and we love them. But if you're a storyteller, think about this. If you're a storyteller who has to tell a story by memory, how much easier is it to remember what's in the Iliad? In fact, I'm going to leave this challenge to, to the people listening. If you if you want to get in your head in a way that you can remember the structure of the whole Iliad so that you can think of any book and say, okay, this is what it's about. My proposition is divided into the three sections, 1 to 8, 9 to 15, 16 to 24. And then divide each section into a mnemonic pattern because then you only have to remember four or five things instead of 24 isolated individual things. And I think it's a brilliant mnemonic device that, that Homer is using because beauty is memorable. That's how I'm going to put it. Um, the practical utility follows the beauty, but there's nothing more practical when it comes to the way the mind works than finding beauties and harmonies. So I think that's why he does it.
2: I think I I think that you're you're exactly right, uh, and I think there's 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 two different reasons for there's there's one reason for the for the mnemonic structure for the mnemonic capability of the structure, and another one for the beauty, although they're they're connected. Everybody from C.S. Lewis to to uh, Gaylord Perry and the other and the other uh, modern uh, critics who talk about who talk about the wasn't um, Gaylord
1: Perry a baseball player?
2: <laughs> he might, it might have been. Uh, <clears throat> I think you mean Milman. Milman Perry might have been. Uh, Lewis says, Lewis says, um, uh, it's worth looking for the uh, f- for um, um, things in the structure that suggest they're there because they help the poet remember the poem. They're mnemonic devices. Uh, he says, but it's also worth remembering uh, that no good poet would uh, structure his poem for the sake of him remembering it when the when the audience uh, is is who the poem is for. So right. it can't be it can't be at the expense of the audience. And the and the mnemonic structure is, is not. Um, it also, as you pointed out, uh, is, a, is a, a beautiful thing as aesthetic, aesthetically, which the audience would would recognize. Not that I think um, there would be a great stress on them uh, remembering the po- poem mnemonically, it might have been. Um, but the mnemonic structure or the structure that, such that is easily memorable um, gives it aesthetic beauty. It gives it balance and symmetry right. and harmony right, and chiastic structure. It gives it simplicity and elegance uh, and all those things are easily remembered but the but um easily remembered is not something the audience is concerned about that's something the poet is concerned about the beauty is something the audience is concerned about or the poet is concerned about on their behalf um i'm making this po this poem beautiful for the sake of my listeners he thinks to himself
1: and 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 um the great thing about about beauty is that it's patterned and the memory loves patterns. So beautiful things. This is why the King James is so much more memorable, right? It's got, it's got these rhythmic patterns that makes it easier to memorize. So, you know, the Lord was not careless
2: when he created our souls. And then we, we notice too, that beauty, beauty is patterned. Um, but we also know that there's, there's a, um, a key feature of, of, uh, of beauty in, 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 in visual arts and music and all kinds of things that it's not that, uh, that it's not um perfectly patterned or rather right uh, it's not patterned so that it's without uh, it's, it's not utterly balanced but there's always something put slightly off center for the sake of of adding to the beauty so a, 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 a picture thank you <laughs> you're welcome what do you
1: that's what that, that's why that's why that's why he, homer tricks us into thinking the duels are the chiasm, but they're a little off center, right? So here's, here's, so if you look at the human face and they have these things about, you know, the perfect human face, they're never symmetrical. They're always asymmetrical. And I'm not, I don't think it's, it's the golden ratio. And the phenomenal thing about the golden ratio is that it's infinite, right? It's symmetrical is, is balanced and equal, But, but, but therefore it's finite, but a golden ratio is infinite. You never ever stop the, um, it, what is that? An irrational number. You never stop the next stage and it draws you into eternity because beauty is an eternal thing. I love that.
2: I agree, uh, although Thank I don't you. necessarily agree with your conclusion, because uh, since it's it's slightly off balance, we could we could say, as you did, uh, that therefore the duel isn't really the chiasm. Homer's Homer's tricked us, or we could say that is the chiasm, and he just put it off center from our expectation. It's three and seven, not two and seven, because if we uh, because if we if we if we allow ourselves to be driven by the events of the story, that's the duel. But if we allow ourselves to be driven by the numbers of the book, then we'd have to say, well. It's, it should be two and seven, so it can't be the dual. But maybe it is the dual. It's just slightly off balance.
1: Ah, uh, but okay. I'm gonna. I while we've been talking, I've been reviewing my notes in the in the margins of my Iliad, and I'm now going to show you ever so concisely how the chiasm plays out: one, eight, two, seven, three, six, four, five. Okay. And then that will, that just like Zeus silenced the gods, that will silence you and you will be in awe.
2: Okay. Are you willing to acknowledge that there are layers of complexity? Oh, that you my, goodness, yes. oh right, my goodness. Yes. All right. So the, the duels what? could still be a chiasm, <laughs> even if they don't fit your notes. <laughs>
1: Oh, yes, there can be there can be a chiastic use of the duels. But this is this is what I'm trying to do is kind of strip it to something very simple, strip it bare so that for the reader who wants to just kind of follow the sequence and see where he is in the book, it's relatively easy to find Mm -hmm. because we've probably lost all Mm -hmm. of them because they're all saying, look, I want to know what happened. okay, (laughs) and and, but I but I want to use this to show you what happened. okay, in book one. In book one, we're on Olympus and there's an assembly. Sorry, we're on earth and there's an assembly. It ends with another assembly on Olympus. So so book one is about assemblies, but on earth and Olympus. Book eight, we're in an assembly again. And, and, and Zeus is uh, taking control in book eight. In book one, it's early in the day. In book eight, it's night. Okay. So that's the, that's the chiasm of one and eight. In book two we have the battle begun by the gods, particularly Zeus, but he sends dream and so on. And so the battle is begun in book two and the battle is ended in book seven. Um, in book three, we see a rescue. There is the duel, but that launches the, the action. We see a major rescue by Aphrodite who rescues Menelaus. And in book six, we see Zeus rescue. Oh shoot! What was his name? Who does Zeus rescue? Is it Diomedes? Zeus rescues? No. Who does Zeus rescue in Book Six?
2: I uh, don't remember.
1: rescue me from my folly.
2: <laughs> uh, don't remember. Um, he rescues Hector. I what? He Trust rescues, me. Rescues
1: Maybe that's it. Yeah, because they go into the city, right? They go into the city and we hear this is the warm and fuzzy that nobody can get over where everybody thinks Hector is so wonderful because he holds his baby up and, and, and you know, there's, he screams and it's such a cute scene that everybody thinks Hector's wonderful. And they fail to recognize the decline of this character through the Iliad. But, oh, that's a side point. Don't worry about that. right? Yeah, now.
2: that's another um, one I'm going to argue about, by the way. I, can't, I, I can't think so. I think that. so. But uh, I'm telling you that I will disagree. <laughs>
1: Okay good cuz cuz again I want to be I want to be able to silence you and and make you hear me with awe good luck. as I hang you from the golden thread of my rhetoric. <laughs> so 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 3 and 6 involve a major rescue by a god and that's and then four and five are both I'll just reduce this to books four and five are where the battle is most intense and, I, and for now because of time I'll leave it at that but so if we go now in sequence forget about the poetic structure in book one we see that we see Achilles withdraws from battle and the gods all agree that we're gonna go forward here and 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 the Greek camp is in decay in book two is in chaos in book two, the battle is begun when Agamemnon tests is is prepared for when Agamemnon tests his people and they make a joke and folly of Agamemnon because what a stupid test. Hey, you guys, if you want to go home now, you'll go home. Oh, gee whiz. They want to go home instead of die for me. What could be wrong? But they do. Book three, then, is where they have they decide, OK, let's just settle this 10 year old war once and for all Paris and Menelaus, Paris, who stole Helen and Menelaus who was married to Helen. Now they're going to fight it out and oh jeepers uh, Paris is a dandy and can't fight well. And Menelaus is about to kill him. He's dragging him by the helmet and Aphrodite rescues Paris and sends him back to his bedroom where he sends Helen to, to him in kind of an ironic, but Aphroditean twist in book four, the battle explodes in book five, the armies clash in book six, the battle is continuing and that's where but but we withdraw from the battle for a moment to see the Trojan inside the Trojan city, get to know them on a personal basis a little bit, and then Zeus rescues the person that I said before I forgot, so I'm embarrassed by that. Well, but yeah, there's anyway. no rescue in book, book
2: six actually, but it's, but it's close
1: enough. Oh I think you're wrong. Okay. I'll
2: look I'll look it up again.
1: But but in book seven, um it is impossible that I could ever be wrong.
2: Um, uh, oh, right. I know that. What am I saying? What am I saying? Am do, I saying? But keep going with your, yeah, going okay, with your so narrative.
1: It's where Diomedes and Glaucus face each other. Um, there's even a parallel structure. You got Hector and the Heralds, Troy. Um, they, they talk to the Trojans. Um, there's a dedication and prayer. And this, Athena and Zeus each refuse the prayer, so that's that's three and six. But anyway, it's conceivable that I got a detail wrong, but who cares? My my, I'm never formally wrong. I can only be wrong on detail. Um, exactly. Where was I? Okay, so so then in book seven, we see the second duel, and this time they actually do fight. They're about to destroy each other, and the gods step in and say, "Let's put an end to this. It's too late." So so they sort of make the sun go down, and the end of their wrath. Then in book eight, as you pointed out, that's when Zeus is aroused and he does the golden scale and that that's an an assembly on Olympus and nighttime falls. And it's one of the most beautiful passages in the book is when you get to the end of book eight and and he says, a thousand fires were burning there in the plain and beside each one sat 50 men in the flare of the blazing firelight and standing each beside his chariot, chomping white barley and oats, the horses waited for the dawn to mount to her high place. So you know we're, we've got this—you know—the greatness of Zeus is kind of the theme of of Book Eight. Yeah. So that's the that's the excessively rapid summary of the action in Books One through Eight, with with a little petty argument about where the chiasm can goes. You, uh, can you
2: can um, you briefly summarize again how uh, how this how people could be helped to remember this first section? What is the what is the uh, the, the the biggest picture structure um, uh, for books one through eight?
1: If you can remember that in book one and eight, the, there's an assembly, a, a you know a major assembly. In book two and seven, you have the beginning and the end of the battle. In 3 to 6, you have these rescues, which apparently you're denying happened in 6. So let's, let, <laughs> let, me, let me offer this then as maybe a, an easier thing. In 3 and 6, to, to, to demonstrate, in 3 and 6, you see an appeal to a God that is rejected, that is denied. And in 4 and 5, you see the battle raging. Okay. Okay.
2: I think that I think that is an interesting way to remember it, uh, and it might um, it might uh, might turn out to be useful for a number of people. Uh, the more the more um, the more we can get the bird's eye view or the aerial view, the big picture, and the more we have balance balance structures, um, the easier it'll be to remember the story. Uh, so I like that. Uh, I'm not sure. And well, I'll hold off my reservations. But I do like that. <laughs> um, you, you're, you're allowed to disagree with me well but no but for the purpose for what, what we're doing i think that's nice that's a nice way to remember it um and uh um i th- and i th- and i think there's uh evidence i'll have to go back and look at some of my underlined sections and some other books i've got on my shelves i think there's evidence that people in that uh, various of homers readers in history uh, have done things like that that uh, tried to remember The outline of the Iliad and/or the Odyssey by um, uh, that sort of mnemonic um, technique.
1: Well, the memory loves patterns because pattern implies repetition, right? It 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 implies an echo, and how much easier to remember something if you know it somewhere else?
2: Yeah. So, so where are we then? So we have uh, we have um, a a, a way of uh, finding structures that would help. Um, uh, help them, help our memory for the for the first section, and we have uh, the 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 first section begun with the wrath of Achilles and ended with the will of Zeus, um, mm-hmm. and then we have um, a chiastic structure that that uh, that rises to battle and descends from battle, and the battle is is, is within that within that theme of having um, of uh, expressing the the anger of Achilles and the will of Zeus, or it's moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. I think did I mention? Mm-hmm. I might have mentioned in a previous episode. Um, uh, just because this this uh, tickles me, uh, the J.T. Shepard giving the speech on the Iliad um, uh, back in the 1930s at some English public school, and uh, being so brilliant that afterwards someone asked him if he could see his notes, and Shepard pulls a scrap of paper out of his pocket. You know, yeah, here's my notes, and it said Zeus, Agamemnon, Zeus.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> whatever that That's
2: a mnemonic, shepherd. right? It is. It's a, It's a, whatever it meant to, to shepherd is a chiastic form.
1: You know, some of our readers have probably enjoyed the Iliad once or twice or three times already. What I found is, is that by the third and fourth time, it started to lift off the page and become three dimensional and living. And having this kind of, of uh, mnemonic structure makes you. Um, uh huh. Uh, see how everything fits together dynamically so that you you um, you have all kinds of characters who start talking to each other in your mind. And mm. it's amazing how much more you do remember, but it doesn't become a, a, an academic exercise of remembering. It becomes a, a mode of enjoying the story more deeply. Yeah. So I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to turn this into a hey beat your kid up and make him memorize this but but use this to to help you enter into more of the joy of the story because it's so beautiful.
2: And uh, like in like in uh, in other areas uh, of our lives that the 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 techniques and the helps are the 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 crutches if you will that help us in the beginning stage Um, lose their uh, um, lose their necessity later on but that doesn't mean that they lose their interest or even their beauty so the more uh, the the more you and I have read the Iliad I'm sure the less we depend on mnemonic devices to remember what's in it just because we're familiar with the story I don't have to make notes anymore to remember things about my wife well some things I do but I'm less dependent upon artificial uh, ways of remembering things about her uh, because, because uh, of, of you know our, our interpenetrated life and our, the, our participation in each other. And the more we yeah. participate in the Iliad, the more we'll still find the, the, the structures, the chiasms and the parallelisms interesting, but the less they'll be necessary for remembering the book because it'll become so much a part of us.
1: Yeah, that's good. And that's why I would go back to what I said earlier, that the practical benefit of the beauty of the of the rhythmic structure, which is beautiful, it's musical, right? This is Musa's. Mm-hmm. The, the practical benefit is that you remember it better, mm-hmm. but the objective is to make it beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, what, what we want is to enjoy the beauty of it. And if we do that, we will, I think, remember it better. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I agree. Uh, and the more uh, the more we can encourage uh, you know the, our, our students that we teach to to see it this way, I think the better the better off that they'll be.
1: Yeah. 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 You know what? We're we're Wes. We're out of time. OK. We're way out of time. We went over time. That
2: happens a lot, doesn't
1: it? We got to discipline ourselves, though, because because we got to we got to be responsible <laughs> to these poor people listening to us. Well, listen, let's let's get back together again soon and talk about the, the next section, books nine through 15. And I'll try not to blunder on where the uh, where the chiasm comes in.
2: <laughs> I don't think you blundered. That sounds good. I like that. Okay. Thanks. I look forward to it. Hey, Wes. Andrew.
1: May the Lord remember you in his kingdom.
2: And you, my friend. Thank you. Bye bye. Goodbye.